0: as you're seated. Y'all know the history, right? The women were the first to run to the tomb, and apparently the women were the first to sign up for the choir here this morning at a fondren church. And then there's Wayne. Wayne and the women. Wave to us. Wayne, appreciate you, brother. Come on, fellas. looking at you for next year or next month or something uh, like that. Well, my mama was going to come to church today. She, it is her custom to come on Christmas Eve and Easter and then sprinkle in a few other times to support her favorite son, but the rain, uh, she decided that she would stay at home today and not make the two and a half hour trek. So, Mom, happy Easter. Mother's Day's in a few weeks. or oh, check that box too. Happy Easter and Mother's Day. Love you and wish you could, uh, could be here. Hey, I want to kick you back to 1998. There was a film that came out, and it was, it, it, they put it in the genre of psychological. Comedian drama, and it had this character in it in a make-believe world. This is Jim Carrey, who many of you remember. Uh, by the way, who was who was not alive in 1998? Do we have some of y'all? You, you were not alive. Wow. Okay. How many of you were alive and you saw it in theaters? Yep. How many of you hang out in 30A and uh, you, you appreciated the film uh, even more? Some of you, I, I know who you are. I'm not going to call your name, but you're at 30A right now instead of church here at Fondren. But at this movie is set, it came out in 1998, and it's set in this idyllic town, this quaint little town called Sea Haven. And in the, in the film, Jim Carrey, who plays Truman, he has a loving wife, a devoted best friend, and the support of the community around him. He could not be happier. He was, he was blissful. Everything was perfect. It couldn't have been more perfect if it was scripted. But as you know, that was the scene. That was the deal. It was scripted. His life was playing out in this fictitious town that was produced and directed by television producers. And everybody was playing a part. His loving wife was actually secretly had, she harbored disgust for him. The best friend was saying things that best friends do to best friends but he was just listening in his earpiece the director would tell him what to say when Jim Carrey when Truman suspected some of you remember this when he suspected that maybe something was remiss uh, his best friend would look at him and say I would never lie to you his whole life his whole existence his marriage his happiness life itself was founded upon a lie well he was happy but it was a lie. Here's what I want to say this morning. I'm going to start this service by saying Easter is about many things, and Easter is really chiefly about one thing, but don't miss this. Easter is not about you or some people finding some happiness based on something that's not true. This is not a metaphor. This is actual. This is Historic. It is real, and I hope that you can discover it for the first time or it can become more meaningful for you this day. Paul would put it this way this ain't the Truman Show. Well, he didn't say that, but he said it this way. He said, If Christ has not been raised, raised from the dead, that is, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He would go on to say that we are to be pitied among all people. The truth that he's presenting to us is the truth that I present to you at the outset that if Jesus' bones were sitting under some Palestinian soil today rotting away we would be basing this on a lie Peter would go on to say this he would use this beautiful expression that I have loved through the years for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about our Lord this isn't a fable it's not fiction it's not a myth it's true And it happened. I want to talk to you this morning in the time that we have. I want to talk to you about two components that can enrich your understanding and appreciation of Easter. The first is uh, historical facts. The historical expression of Christianity. The historical evidence. Let's put it that way. And then personal experience. We are to be pitied among all men. If Christ was not raised from the dead, our preaching is vain. That would kind of stink for me, wouldn't it? Uh, To put all the hours into this and to stand up in front of so many people and preach this sermon, it would be all in vain, but your life would be a pitiful one at that. So let's look at some historic evidence of Jesus. Here's some reasons I believe that lends credence to this truth, some veracity to the claims of Jesus and to the early followers of Jesus, which is why we gather today. Uh, Some components about telling a lie. Here's what I know about you. I know some of you well, and I don't know some of you at all. But here's what I know about us. You only tell a lie if you benefit from the lie. Every lie you tell, you benefit. It got you out of trouble. It made you look better than you really are, uh, which is also called Instagram. But every lie, right, you benefit from the lie that you tell. Uh, Ever heard the story, read the book, seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? There's a guy named Frank Abigail, and he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And Hollywood just keeps doing it, don't they? They just make real-life people so much more attractive. Uh, but he, he was known as a master con artist. And through, in the in spate of five years, this, this master con artist wrote bogus checks. He um, got a Harvard law degree, a fraudulent hard, ha, ha, law degree from Harvard. And he went to work for the Louisiana State Attorney General... Um, he impersonated a pilot in the commercial aviation. And he, his most daring uh, feat was he pretended to be a pediatrician at a Georgia State Hospital. He was a resident supervisor at a night shift. How did he get away with that one? I can't tell you about all the others. But he, he, his deal was there. He would make all of the interns perform all the medical procedures. But he pulled off this hoax for some time lie after lie. Why did he do that? What did he gain before he was caught? What did he gain? Fame, money, attention, and a sense of self-importance. By way of example, let me ask you, it's interesting to note what he did not impersonate. What line of work or person of being did he not emulate? Did he not fool people? He, He didn't, for instance, ever fool anybody that he was a A sex offender that would bring reproach that would bring hatred and disdain that would bring prison time he only the the every lie that he told would benefit himself so the question i ask you as we consider the historical evidence of the resurrection of jesus those disciples what did they gain what did they benefit if this was a lie James was beheaded. Philip was crucified. Matthew was cut and killed with a blunt saw. Mark was dragged to pieces. What benefit did they have in following this if it was a lie? A lie, only you only lie to benefit yourself. Another component of this: if you're lying, you leave out the embarrassing stuff. Y'all remember the Alamo? Any Texas Texans in the house? We got some Texans in here. We have a guy. I don't know if he's here today or at the earlier so He comes to church a lot. and He used to wear his cowboy hat, and uh, I just I would give him looks, you know, and he doesn't anymore. But anyway, he's a Texan. Had a kid that went to college here locally, but. Um, Y'all remember the Alamo. You do if you're a Texan like Emily over here and whoever gave a shout out on this side. But Texans, man, you've got to remember the Alamo. Here's the thing about the Alamo. The truth of it is that there were 5,000 Mexican men in an army outside of this place called the Alamo and there were inside 185 Texas freedom fighters. Davy Crockett, um, William Travis, Jim Bowie, Sam Houston was in the vicinity and they, they weren't fighting for their very lives at this point. And the Mexicans said to them at the Alamo, come out and surrender. And their motto was, their battle cry was, victory or death. And the result, if you remember the Alamo, was that they all, all 185 died. But history, some historians got involved. They began to look around and kick the tires a little bit and found out some things that Texans don't like us talking about. That Davy Crockett apparently, now there's some controversy, but apparently Davy Crockett snuck out the back. He surrendered. Now he was later, he was subsequently killed, but he didn't didn't fight bravely to the end like the other 184. There's some truths about Samuel Houston and about his problems with alcohol and the way he treated people. And there were some things that came out about William Travis and the way he was running from debtors. He was a criminal and he had broken the law and Texans don't want you to know this stuff. Now these facts have been out there Incredible people believe them and give evidence to them but Texans, you, you, know, you know the saying, don't mess with Texas. Uh, That doesn't just apply to throwing litter on their highways Apparently it applies to their cherished ideals and their heroes Don't mess with Texas And if you're lying, you leave out the embarrassing stuff If it's just the stuff of legend, you don't include that in there And listen to me, the New Testament writers Y'all, this stuff has stood the test of time It's the best-selling book of all time It has stood the test of time And these New Testament writers, they would be tempted just like the Texans Just give the good stuff just give the glowing stuff make these men heroes they all fought fiercely until the end but what do you see when you read Matthew Mark and Luke and John what do you see in these writers what do they say about these first followers of Jesus these closest men in his companions his colleagues you see that Peter is called Satan that's I don't know if you know this that's not a compliment don't use it later at Easter on anybody. But that's not. Jesus called him, saying, "Get thee behind me, Satan." This would be the Peter who would deny Jesus three times in big and bold and brazen fashion. The disciples, when Jesus was arrested and crucified, they scattered. They were scared about social convention and the religious customs. They were uh, felt like they were in danger, and they. They scattered, they weren't fighting, they weren't standing up, they were denying, they were scattering. Jesus gave them one job in the garden at this point. When he was enduring distress, when he was dealing with emotional trauma and pain and anguish, literally sweating droplets of blood, he says to them to stay and to pray, and they fall asleep. And Jesus himself died a death that was horrific. He died a death that the law in Deuteronomy would say, it would say this. If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. This was not the lie. This was not the stuff of legend. What you see is pain. What you see is problems. What you see is in the disciples are people that ran and that were scared. And you see a Savior, you see a Messiah who is not a, a Messiah that they wanted, who was not a conquering king. He was a crucified carpenter. He was a man of sorrows and he endured this pain. And it was not the stuff of legends, the historical evidence. In, in literature, and in history, it all suggests, all, uh, many scholarly minds have weighed on this. It suggests that this would not be the lie that anybody would tell. When you're telling a lie, your lies benefit you. When, when you're telling a lie, you, you leave out the embarrassing facts. If you're lying, you have to expect pesky fact checkers. Anybody been a Law and Order fan? Anybody love, my wife and I, you don't have to raise your hand, Susan, I know. We, we, when we were dating literally across the country, we, we would watch this show together and talk about the episodes and brought it into our marriage a, a couple of years later. It's still a part of our um, you know, winding down time. But the Law and Order episode, it says that the criminal justice system is made up of two separate but equally um, important parts. The police who investigate the crimes and the district attorneys who prosecute them. These are their stories. We should should play that. We'll do that next year sometime. Um, But the episodes, how they usually play out is this way the police will follow suspects, they will piece together uh, parts of the crime scene, they'll begin listening to what the, the dead body said, and they'll follow leads. They'll do the investigative work, and if there's multiple suspects, it plays out this way often. They'll, here's how it goes. There's a, there's the, there's the CSI crime scene investigation, and then there's the other CSI, the crime scene interrogation. And often on a law and order episode with multiple suspects, it'll go down like this. They'll, they'll bring in a suspect, and he'll be with a detective, with a policeman, and they'll sit down. That policeman will have him in his own private room, and he'll sit with him, and he'll look over at him, and he'll say, okay. If you come clean and you tell me what happened, what actually happened, I will talk to the DA and you'll be given some leniency. You could walk or you, you're not going to serve much time. This will go a lot better for you if you come clean. And let me tell you something else that's important. My pal is, within your part, is with your partner in the next room and he's telling him the same thing. So whoever talks first could get out of this thing. Is there anything you want to tell me? And in episode after episode, what happens? They speak. That suspect will tell the story so as to pin the crime on his accomplice. But the disciples never once, they never once did this. They never once told a lie in this way. And they did it similarly. In fact, I would say more brutally. With the specter, the looming specter of torture and execution, imprisonment. One of those, all of those were waiting on them, but they didn't crack. It just doesn't make sense. When you examine the historical evidence, it doesn't make sense that this would be a lie or a hoax or some sort of legend. In addition to this, adding this to the, this can't be a hoax line of thinking with historical evidence. If you're lying, you make sure you have a credible source. Last year when we did a faith and culture series, I pointed you to some resources, some podcasts, some books, some people to follow who have nourished my faith intellectually and also emotionally. One of those that I pointed to was the Jude 3 project. It's made up primarily comprised of some very thoughtful, uh, very encouraging very compelling uh, black leaders here's one of them talking about this very idea of having a credible source several days after being crucified and buried jesus's well-known and guarded tomb was found to be empty the first witnesses to the empty tomb of jesus were guess who women during those times in the ancient near east the testimony of women was not seen as credible so to include such detail, further show the authenticity of the narrative. Hopefully that'll leave you wanting to know more. Jude 3 project. You can go and find out more of what this brilliant woman has to say about the historical evidence of the resurrection. But they would not, women were not even, they were not even, they're not even admissible in trial, yet they were the first. And then we, we're, history shows us. Shows us the disciples, it shows us uh, the upper room, it shows us the 500, it shows us these witnesses that brought veracity to this historical claim. So there's historical evidence of the resurrection. This is not the Truman Show. This is not someone telling you to be happy based on some lie or something that might be true. This happened and I want to encourage you to examine the evidence. By the way, starting next week, we're going to do a series called Courageous Questions. I'll be ably helped by other people in this series, but we're going to tackle some of the big questions of the faith and would love for you to take part in this to learn some more about this. I want to move over on this side to talk about, uh, at the, on the other side of the historical evidence, to talk about um, personal experience. In the Christian community, we would call this Testify. So I want to testify a little bit about the impact of the life of Jesus in my uh, office uh, there are some books in a history section and here's part of part of my office in, in the history section there are some books that well I'll just show some show you some of them and you tell me what they have in common 1941 19 1944 1941 1000 1775 1864 1491 1493 apparently something happened in 1492 1862 1619 Down on the bottom of 1917 1941 1848 1861 1939 The boys of 67 Here's my question for you 1862 from what? 1944 from what? 1941 from what? 1491 from what? 1493 from what? Whatever happened with the summer of 67? 1967 from what? What happened in the year 1000? I haven't read that book yet. Uh, 1000 from what? But the question really is 1000 from who? 1000 from a man like no other. 1000 from a man who attracted and drew the sinners who the people who felt marginalized and outcast they wanted to be with him those who were not in the in group wanted to be with Jesus and those who were in the in group but wanted to probe the depths and meanings of life they wanted to speak to Jesus and learn from him last easter we spent a good bit of time on the just the staggering nature Of the influence that Jesus has even comparing him to Instagram models and people uh, who today have uh, so many more advantages to gain fame but flicker out over time there's been no life like Jesus the influence that he's had one of the things as we talk about just personal experiences one of the things that has impacted me and helped me is Other leaders, other people who found Jesus to be Lord and Savior like I have, I've been able to benefit from their writings. One of those men is named G.K. Chesterton. And he talked about how Christianity and the person of Jesus became overwhelmingly uh, convincing to him when he just talked about looking at the world, looking at what the Scripture teaches and how Jesus led his life and how he himself taught and who... uh, who he was who was drawn to him and the variety the diversity of people that were drawn to him and he talked about just the human condition the human experience the the contradictions and the paradoxes and the fullness and the mystery of the human experience and he writes so intelligently about how that some of us are overly pessimistic about life some of us are overly optimistic about life and you know who you are and Easter's like a time to say, hey, come on, let's, uh, let's get together here. But he writes about like stoicism. Stoicism, uh, Chesterton says, is overly pessimistic. There's a dullness and deadness about it, a fatalism to it. But humanism, a different spin on this, he says humanism is overly optimistic that man is the measure of all things. Are you kidding me? And he, he speaks of what I want to speak to you today, that Christianity... It is not pessimistic and it is not optimistic to use his words It's wildly pessimistic and wildly optimistic consider the prophet uh, jeremiah The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. It's deceitfully wicked Man, we tell people that we love to follow their heart and sometimes that can be really good And sometimes, many times, it can lead you down the wrong road because this is true. And if you try to buck this wisdom, you can end up in a ditch. If you want to fight it and kick against the goads here, listen, it's just true. And you see this wild pessimism that our heart, your heart, and mine, the preacher's heart on this Easter Sunday is deceitfully wicked. He would go on to say, above all else. But Christianity is wildly optimistic. Look at John, later in life, this beloved disciple. He would say, dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. Oh, the hope of that. If you are walking a hard road right now, if you're going through something very difficult and you are weary and you're wondering if you should hold on, you're wondering how and why you should hold on, if you can hold on. Listen to these beautiful language that he uses. Will be not yet made known i love the hope of this and it's grounded in something so great let me back up just a bit here here's what i've never heard anybody say have you i realize that i'm a meaningless accident began by chance destined to oblivion and now i'm happier i used to be an alcoholic but now the natural law of selection has set me free I used to be greedy, but now the big bang has made me more generous. I used to be afraid, but now random chance has made me brave. You don't ever hear those things. I've got them in italicized in quotes, but I've never heard anybody say those things. Because what Jesus taught is true. And the Bible before him and the Bible at him and the Bible after him gives us this idea that we have meaning based on a loving creator. Don't fight that. Don't follow any lie that says otherwise. Let's... Let me close with a couple of important truths here. One is found in Romans 2. Paul, this brilliant man, people have devoted their lives to studying his intelligence, to study his writings, and how he points people to Jesus. He says this, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, at other times even defending them. You are not just an animal you are not equal to the animals you have a soul and you're set apart by way of illustration if a tiger bites somebody or if a bear mauls somebody we don't sue them take them to court and put them on trial we would say we would say it's just their nature because tigers bite and bears maul it's just their nature But you have been given a conscience and this world that you live in It bears witness. Can anybody say amen that this is true? Anybody run from God? Anybody close their Bible and did not try to deny their faith, but your conscience bothers you. There's something written there and that's who you are. You, you, you are a moral being in a meaningful universe and you are blame worthy. Anybody feel guilty of something they've done wrong recently? Like if I was getting a show of hands, I'd be the first, like I've done some dumb stuff even this weekend. Like, we, we, I am blameworthy, and you are blameworthy, and you have a conscience, and you feel guilty, and you need someone to wash your, away your sins. And the experience of my life, and so many others, is that that's what Jesus does. That's what he provides. Look also what he would say. Because there are evil forces. There is darkness. There's death. There's evil. There's heaven and hell. It is real. In Colossians 1, he would say, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom he, we have redemption the forgiveness of sins when someone dies we uh, when someone dies and we want to come around the family who's experienced that loss at its deepest level we bring them a gift we write them a card or a note we send them something there's something in writing and studies have shown this What's the one word after someone has died and you're expressing love to someone who's lost a loved one, what's the one word that's never found on sympathy cards? What's the one word? Any guesses? Death. Yeah, definitely not that. Yeah, yeah. But death, the word death, the word dying is never. They died. There is a death. But no one says it on a card. I do know the story of a 10-year-old girl. Who lived in a neighborhood not far from us? she walked across the street. And she wrote a note when someone lost their mom. And it was, they put it on their refrigerator. And it was colorful. And it said, I'm sorry your mom died. And that's just unique. We don't say, I mean, that's what happened. But we don't talk about it. And here's what I want to share from personal experience. And what I want to point you to. And the, the psalmist said it so long ago. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Y'all, death is real, and it's going to happen to everybody. And those of you who've lived a little while, you've lost a loved one. And Jesus, overcame; he has overcome the grave. And it is my experience. Look, I'm a little bothered by growing old. Y'all don't say anything. Be quiet. The 930 rumbled a little bit. But I'm a little bothered. I'm a little weak and insecure about growing old. I'm just not liking it right now. But I'm telling you. Jesus can help me, and he can help you overcome our fear of death. He brings meaning to this one. As Lauren and the team began to come up, and as we begin to close, I want to close with these words that I bet a whole bunch of preachers have shared today around the world. He, Jesus, is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And strangely, what I want to point your attention to is probably the words you wouldn't pick up on today, but it's the very words just as he said it is my testimony today it is my testimony today that as a youngster even though God made me an extrovert and I don't have to apologize for that I need to be quiet sometimes and I have difficulty sleeping most nights I'm an extrovert I have FOMO and all that but like when I was a teenager I felt myself drawn to open the best-selling book of all time and to read about a savior and I was drawn to it I began to look at his life. I began to consider his teachings. I began to look at the world in which we live in. And I saw a message that was cogent, that was coherent, that made sense. When I got to the Sermon on the Mount, I saw his teachings about lust and adultery and murder and anger and money and worry and the broad road and the narrow road. I have lived many decades now and I see the truth when Jesus taught in Luke eight seventeen. and I pastor people I've seen it in my life through pain and I've seen it in the lives of some of you and I've stood here and preached this before Luke eight seventeen, just as he said he said that everything that you keep in darkness will be brought to light can I tell you that's true of me and I tell people this in organizational cultures this all the time if you're a leader and you're holding on to a lie to a secret you're going to be found out your smartest people they're already picking up on it because you're compensating for it and so the what jesus said is true walk in the light like the resurrection story is a walk in the light we don't deny our sin don't deny your sin you're a moral being you are a blameworthy creature you will be held accountable there is evil in the world you haven't just done things wrong you have sin in you and just as he said time and time again it is my testimony and it is my personal experience as we do point to you to to, you to the historical evidence the personal personal examples it's powerful to me to consider our Savior the truth of His words and I'm telling you time after time again so here's my invitation as you stand today it's not an invitational time to come and pray down front but it is an invitation I want to give you an invitation for a few things I want to give you an invitation to open your Bibles and read them Start in the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want to invite you to pray. I talked to someone a couple of weeks ago after we preached on prayer from James 5. And he told me, Pastor, I'm one of those you talked about. I don't have because I don't ask. I've stopped asking God. I've stopped praying in some ways. I've stopped believing. I want to invite you on this Easter Sunday to think about prayer in a renewed way. It is simply talking with God. I was with a group of people at a prom party, a pre-prom party. And we were standing around talking about when the preacher's there, they always ask him to pray. And guess what? They ask me to pray. And I want to tell them what I tell you. Y'all can pray. Anybody can pray. And prayer is simply talking with God. Ask God to give you personal testimony of the truth of the life of Jesus. To give you the resurrection power that he wants you to to know read your bible and pray and talk to him here's the third thing i want to say to you find a church i know one but find a church find a church where they will help you grow in your faith lock arms with a few people and walk with them find a church where they will welcome you and show you tons of love and grace because that's what jesus wants from his church and then when you leave today, I've already said it, but when you leave today, we were really obnoxious. We put up these signs there at every exit so you can't avoid them. And it says, come back next week. And I really want to ask you to do that because we've only skimmed the surface with some things that I want to talk to us about. And by the way, I want to bring other people in, as I said, some other experts or some experts. I'm, I'm not one. But to bring in some experts to talk about some big, weighty questions. historical evidence the personal experiences point to the truth of jesus let me pray for you to know him or to know him in a deeper way lord would you would you do your work and lord i know this crowd is ready for lunch and ready for the day and pretty soon it's gonna be new sports and weather but I pray that you help some people circle up and you give some people the courage to talk about Jesus, to talk about faith, to talk about something they could do next. It could be like our friend at the 930 to come to be baptized soon. It could be one of the very things that we mentioned today. Just as he said, God, I want to pray in front of this church to you, thanking you for the work. There's no life like Jesus. There's no one who's influenced like he's influenced. It doesn't make sense to go back and see this as a fable. Catch me if you can. They could have been caught, but they died for this. They died for a savior who died for the sins of the world. And everybody was guilty when Jesus hung on that pole when he was on that cross. Everybody was guilty everybody the soldiers were guilty of brutality Pilate was guilty of envy the disciples were guilty of cowardice and jesus was the innocent man who gave his life and lord i thank you that that releases us from the penalty of sin from also from its power lord would you release captives would you give some folks who are willing to resurrection power to leave here today with a renewed sense that you can work in them bless these tithes and offerings let this be a generous people the world needs it and you we pray amen